are listening to Speech Bubble, the podcast that goes one-on-one with Toronto's comic book luminaries. Here's your host, Aaron Broverman. Godspeed, old chum. Hello, fanboys and fangirls. Welcome to another episode of Speech Bubble. It's your host, Aaron Broverman, of course. And with me today... I have Megan Carter. Megan is sort of a webcomic maven. Uh, she does a webcomic called God Slave, and it's, it's got a lot of buzz around it. Uh, she previously did a comic called Take Off, also a webcomic. She's also the colorist for uh, the next few issues of The Pitiful Human Lizard. So welcome, Megan. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's it's great to have you. I had uh, some of your friends on, Aaron Feldman and Allison O'Toole. So it's it's great to have you. They they recommended you. So, oh, so beautiful. that's definitely why uh, why you're in here. Yeah, I, I was going through uh, the podcast actually through your list, listening to a couple episodes, and I saw my friends kept coming up to the point where I was like, man, I'm going to get real insulted if I don't get invited, <laughs> invited at some point. Yeah, nice, nice. So I guess the way that I like to start the podcast is I like to get to know you a little bit and then we sort of get into your work and that kind of thing. So like, where did you grow up initially? I initially grew up actually in Niagara Falls. Awesome. I moved there when I was like seven years old. And then as soon as I graduated high school, I moved to Toronto for art school and I've been here ever since. I've never looked back. Wow. So was that like okay? Like where did you go for for art school? Uh, no, it's a smaller school uh, in Toronto. It's called Max the Mutt. Oh yeah, the animation school. Yeah, their core is uh, animation, but they've branched out in the last like I'd say 10 years uh, to illustration. So now they do illustration and concept art. And so I took three years of illustration there and I actually now teach there. Oh, cool. Yeah. So how long ago was that, that you went to Maximut? Oh, gosh. I graduated six years ago. Okay. Yeah. Cool. The next thing I want to know is sort of like, what got you into comics and drawing and that sort of thing? It's the same for a lot of people. I feel like I've just been drawing since I could hold the pencil. But uh, I feel like for comics, what originally got me into that specifically was um, I was huge anime kid, huge weeb when I was growing up. And I remember at the grocery store, they started selling the Shonen Jump magazines, which were like, they just compiled a bunch of manga. So there was Naruto, there was Yu-Gi-Oh, uh, there was Shaman King, like, uh, and this was in the, I'd say, mid-2000s. And I was hooked. I found that at like a Walmart or something. I was like, oh my God, it's Naruto and it's the original comic. And I... I've been hooked ever since, and that's just, it's branched out from manga to North American to superhero comics and then, like, web comics, obviously. Cool. So what got you into manga? Growing up, I really loved, like, big adventures, especially featuring girls. Uh, so, like, I was huge Sailor Moon fan, obviously. I got to see this girl who, like, transformed to a cool costume, and she, like, fought monsters, and she had all her friends helping her. And I think that's what drew me to manga because there's a lot of media that features girls having really big adventures and even uh, the boys stuff. Like I love shonen manga, which is stuff for boys. Uh, so like I loved reading One Piece and Naruto and Bleach and Dragon Ball Z because I just I wanted to see like fighting with boys or girls. And so I really loved like fighting monsters, like action and like really fast paced stuff. Yeah, like Sailor Moon was my first exposure to anime. Yeah. Like I watched it on I think it was like YTV. Yeah. It was sort of like it was sort of like Power Rangers and then also there was like Sailor Moon was like the first one. Yeah. And I think uh Dragon Ball was also running at the same yeah, time. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. They, they, but they were the Dragon Ball had already happened in Japan or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And then they were, like, replaying the English dubs of the, origi- I'm sure, of the yeah. original um, uh, the original Dragon Ball cartoon, I guess. Yeah, I think that started in, like, the 80s. Right, right. So, but yeah, like, Sailor Moon was definitely my first 
uh, anime that I ever saw. Yeah. Too, for I sure. remember being like hugely enamored by the fact that like she changed clothes like day to day. She had different clothing. I was like, oh my God, she has a whole like, she looks cool in all her clothes. Yeah. And it, and it was a kind of a cool like representation because like, like you said, there weren't a lot of like girls or like girl centric cartoons like on on tv it was usually like i think like uh there would be but they weren't what i was interested in because i liked i liked gargoyles and i liked x-men and beast wars and reboot and uh i loved them uh no matter like what gender they had but like the fact that once i found stuff that actually featured girls i realized how hungry i was for it Mm-hmm. So that definitely like sparked <laughs> the flame. That's awesome. I, I think I think we watched basically the same TV shows. I'm sure, yeah. Because like Beast Wars, uh, reboot, like all that stuff. I mean, I was definitely into that kind of thing. Oh my gosh, I still love Beast Wars. I, uh, and I know there's always that like veil of nostalgia of like, no, it's such a good cartoon. It's still good, but like, I I have the DVDs and I'll rewatch them. And a lot of it like still really holds up for me. Yeah, and I think really, like, that was sort of my first real exposure to, like, the Transformers. Because I was a little too young for, like, the original, like, Transformers Mm -hmm. and, like, Optimus Prime and stuff. So I think at first I thought that, like, Beast Wars was what Transformers was. Oh, yeah, It's like, there's been nothing else like this. (laughs) Even though they, like, constantly reference the G1 stuff in the show. I'm just like, oh, wow, it's so cool. Yeah, yeah, totally. So what made you go from, like, being a fan of this sort of thing? And then what had you, like, branch out into, like, North American comics? Uh, So, yeah, like I said, I was huge weeb yeah. in high school, especially. And then I think going to an actual art school uh, where you meet, like, all sorts of fans who are into all sorts of different comics... Like a bunch of guys who are still a lot of my friends right now, they were hugely into North American comics. And so them constantly talking about it. And I'd be like, what's going on? I'm like, nobody wants to talk about Naruto. And I think at that time, there was sort of this air of like, manga's not not that good. Anime's not that good. But these guys were like North American comics. And so I slowly started piecing together what they were talking about and buying comics. And uh, it also helped that at that time they were still selling comics like at the convenience store. Okay. And so I slowly started bridging the gap of like, all right, I know what's going on in, you know, Civil War. I know what's going on in um, uh, the Justice League or DC Comics. And then even from there, it started moving on to like some of our teachers were like, here are European comics. Here are French comics. And we're like just heads heads exploding like what because it's it's very uh it's a very clear difference when you look at them so what what is the difference between like european comics and north american comics i would say that the biggest difference is that uh culturally in europe uh comics are treated like an art form i could be completely wrong but i feel like there's a lot less deadline going on uh wherein North America and including Japan, it's very much like you need to get this out once a month, every month. Uh, we need to be three in the can before we publish this. And it has to be consistent. Whereas I think in Europe there, it's a bit more like this is your finished piece and you publish it when it's done. And it just seems like uh, they're given a lot more, how should I say, a lot more breathing room okay. uh, to be creative because that's what uh, they appreciate there. Right. It's more like artistic yeah the artistic expression of the artist and like what they want to do rather than like these legacy characters that are 40 years old yeah i think we're kind of starting to do that kind of stuff if you look at like the independent comics and graphic novels and that sort of thing but it's a very recent development compared to uh what's been going on in europe for for years absolutely Okay, so you're being exposed to all these different things. And, like, what do you think of it? Like, at first, you're getting into North American comics just so you have something to talk about Mm -hmm. with the people that aren't into, like, manga and anime and that sort of thing. So, like, what are you thinking about all these different exposures? Because you're very unique. I mean, most people that I have in here, they're exposed to North American comics and superhero comics first. And then they explore everything else. Mm -hmm. But you come from, like, the manga sort of anime background so coming from that background how did you interpret north american comics what was happening at the time was i was also going to art school right. so i was also like 
learning human proportions and perspective and uh, proper storytelling through panels. Right. And so, like, after, like, the first or second year of art school and also looking at North American comics, I would go back to, like, my huge manga pile and I'd be like, some of this is really garbagely done. Some of this is, like, really badly done. But at the same time, I was able to pick out the ones where, like, oh, this is really good. Like, yeah. this really holds up. And so I think I became more selective okay. about what I picked up. And I felt that especially where uh, before I would go to, like, the chapters of the Indigo in town and just, like, pick up whatever had a cool cover. I'd be like, yep, bought it. It's done. It's in my library. And now uh, I'm much more careful about what I buy. Uh, and I usually rely heavily on, like, recommendations uh, before I'll jump into something. Yeah, I think having all that stuff going on at a time where I'm in art school and I'm being exposed to North American comics where I wouldn't say the the bar is higher, but I think the bar is different where in North American comics, your storytelling really needs to be clear. Right. I think because of that, I, I suddenly started applying that to my old comics where like, where is the storytelling really clear? Where isn't it? Right, like, right. Or you screwed up here. Yeah, yeah. So you were you became more of like a critic. You became more critical. Yeah, I became way more critical. Yeah, cool. So in terms of like the way that you were getting your comics, were you getting them more from like bookstores and, and chapters and stuff at first? Or were you going to like the direct market and like comic shops and stuff? Uh, when I was in Niagara, all you really had was the chapters in Indigo. Okay. At, at the time, all we had was, I think it's called Neutral Zone. And it was like a very... Almost uh, what you would see in an old movie of like what a comic shop is, like very dingy, like some of the carpet was torn up and they had comics just like stacked on the floor and they could get away with it because they were the only shop in town. Of course, now they have Big B Comics, which is beautiful. Right. But yeah, all we really had that felt like a safe place to be was a Chapters or an Indigo. But once I moved to Toronto and suddenly I have the Silver Snail, the Beguiling, even like BMV Comics, which constantly has like secondhand books that are really decently priced. Right. Uh, so there's been, since I moved to Toronto and had access to the direct market, I've definitely been a, a fan of that. Nice, nice. So when you were going to art school, what made you want to like pursue art as a career? It was the only thing I was happy doing. <laughs> uh, like since I was little, I just kept saying, I want to be a cartoonist. I want to be a cartoonist. And uh, my parents, uh, thankfully, were very supportive and at first, I wanted to be an animator because uh, I thought, like, well, it's really hard to get a job in comics and you have to be good at drawing everything. So I'll just I'll be an animator because all you have to draw is like characters and people. That's not true at all. But that's what I thought. And so I went to Max the Mutt for their animation program originally. And then one of the teachers there he saw my stuff. He's like, you would probably enjoy comics more. And I was like, oh, why? He's like, well, you seem like you like doing your own stories and you don't get to do that in animation. I was like, oh. Uh, and I was like, well, I think it's a lot harder to get a job in animation or like to keep one. And he's like, no, it's just as hard in comics or in, or, uh, pardon me, in comics, it's a lot harder to get a job. Get a job. Uh, he's like, no, it's about the same. He also lied about that. <laughs> but I was just like, oh, okay i was just like very easily influenced and i just immediately changed my major to comics wow yeah so you were making your own stories like before so what what was in your portfolio like what kind of stuff did you, um, did you put in in high school i did this comic called exorcism for hire uh so like even before max i was making my own comics but kept kept thinking no i'll just do animation so in terms of so like exorcism for hire what was that it was a comic about high school ghost hunters which was like specifically what i loved uh, i loved paranormal stuff and i loved monsters and ghost hunting uh so it was just like an amalgam of things i really liked as a kid and it was Really crudely done. We printed it at Staples. I would sell it at the craft show at the high school. But it was super fun. I made that. And I also did a journal comic while I was in high school. 
But again, just like kept making these comics, but like, no, I can't make comics. The money's in animation. Right, right. right. Um, so did you have a following for any of your like high school comics? Like were people buying them and like reading um, them and stuff? My friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like, uh, like other classmates. Uh, and that was essentially it. Like back then you really couldn't tell who was visiting from where. Yeah. It was just more like, yeah, all my friends really like working on it or they like to buy it. Uh, and that's who would support it mostly. Yeah, yeah, totally. You also worked on uh, Toronto Comics Anthology Volume 3, and you did a like sort of paranormal sort of story, yes. right? It was like the haunting of like the keg. Yeah, the keg mansion up on Jarvis. Right, right. So, so that's kind of continued. What is your attraction to like the paranormal and ghost hunting and stuff? I, I couldn't say what specifically. I guess there's always... Uh, there's sort of a romantic idea of like, oh, spirits and ghosts and, you know, there's something after we uh, we go. And I think I've always been really attracted to that. Again, like I've always liked stories about like fighting monsters or fighting demons and spirits. And so I in turn also really like that in like ghost hunting shows or uh, horror movies. And so I think that's just translated from like uh, something in passing as a kid. And now I'm an adult and I'm going to expose everyone else to that. Nice, nice. And it's kind of like the way that they're set up. Do you believe in an afterlife yourself? Like, I do, actually. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to have a couple of friends call me an idiot, but I do, <laughs> Tell actually. Me I guess it's again like I've. I have personally never experienced anything. Right. I'll be very upfront about that. I've never experienced anything. I think it's more, I like the idea of it. And so I hear stories from friends and I hear stories from my own family, even. Like, my mom talks about how uh, after my grandpa passed in high school, my mom and my nana were getting ready to sell the house. Okay. Uh, and as soon as they sold the house, uh, this bell went off in a, a glass case that no one touched and had never gone off before. And my mom kind of took that as a sign, like, my grandpa was happy with what she was doing. And I just, I guess I like stories like that, where it's sort of this comfort. So again, it's nothing, nothing concrete has ever been presented to me. It's more just, I like to believe it. It's kind of nice to think about. Yeah, like rather than uh, things being like a coincidence, there's sort of like a design. Yeah, like something sort of watching over you. And I have one particular friend who would probably argue like, is it nice to think about that we're trapped on this earth? And I'm like, you know, well, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I guess it's more the idea of that like, there's something beyond just this physical shell mortal coil. Right, right. Totally. I get that. So, you know, this this whole like paranormal thing has sort of run through some of the stuff that you've done. And then what was your experience in art school? Like, what did you learn? Like, once you got in mm-hmm. and you sort of changed your major to comics, what was that experience like? I think they stress... Uh, in comics especially like obviously clear storytelling uh, you need to learn how to lay out a page and how the eye moves through the page that was a big one let's see we also got scripting classes so very specifically we got classes that were about how to bring your own ideas to life and how to format them and how to pitch them to companies cool. whereas i think in animation it's more how do you fill in the blank on this line of uh, different people who do different jobs for one project. I don't want to say factory output because I have a lot of friends in animation who enjoy animation, but I think they would also agree that like you have one very specific job and that is all you do, where in comics you kind of have to do the whole thing. Yeah, until you get to a level yeah. where you have a colorist and you have a letterer. And you yeah, have... you can hire that out. Yeah, 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 exactly. So what was your experience? Like, did, did you were, were you successful? Did you like going to the oh school? Oh my gosh, like, I loved it, yeah. yeah. I uh, we, were, we were the first graduating class, so there was a lot of growing pains. But uh, no, I really enjoyed myself. And I, I made a lot of really good friends there. I've never thought like, oh, what if I went to animation though? Would that have been easier? Like, I I love comics. Nice. So, like, I guess they were developing the program while you were doing it. Yeah. And uh, like I said, I now teach there and we are still like really developing it and updating it for because when I went there, the comics industry is very different from now. Okay. Tell me about that. Well, like Kickstarter is a big thing. Patreon is a big thing. Right. Uh, Web comics are huge now. It's almost a default along with bringing your portfolio or sending it out, you should be making comics constantly. And a webcomic is a great platform to do that and get eyes on it. 
Right, because even, like, the executives from, like, DC and Marvel that come to cons and do, like, the how-to-make-comics panels and Mm -hmm. stuff, they always say that, like, especially for writers, they're looking for new writers who have, like, published work, right? Yes. Anything, like, whether it's, like, published by an actual publisher or you're publishing yourself, they want to see that you're able to do that kind of stuff. Yeah, they want to see that you can finish something. Right. Um, Yeah, and I think originally that would have been a print book. Uh, but now if you can say like, here are 200 pages online that I have done with an artist, uh, like I can clearly put the work in. Cool. So getting out of school, what were your prospects like for like trying to pursue comics, like in, in the real world? Very little. (laughs) Uh, and that's the thing a lot of people have to realize is like when you're fresh out of school and you have... You have no real finished work besides this portfolio of like six penciled pages that you did in class and it's your first work. It's still, you don't really learn how to do comics until you've done like hundreds of pages. Right. Uh, And that was the same for me where like I got like a couple illustration jobs here and there. But as for comics, I just, I did Fan Expo uh, like right after I graduated and uh, a teacher, Scott Chandler, he dared me and my table mate, who, Selena Golding, who we'd also gone to school with, okay. uh, he dared us to start a webcomic in two months. Okay. And that's when I was like, okay. <laughs> I just, I took that and I ran with it. And so two months later, Takeoff was born. Wow. So what, what was Takeoff? Takeoff, uh, the way I usually pitch it is that it's about a girl and a dragon and how they have to try to work together, but they're really awful at it. More accurately, it's basically about uh, it's about a girl and a dragon and how they suffer through individual traumas and they have to work through those traumas together in the format of magic animal racing. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, what brings them together? Like, why do they have to? Why do they have to work together? Essentially, there is this world called In Between. Okay. Uh, it's like a space in between worlds and universes, and these sort of gods or be ultra planar beings uh, get together and uh, they see earth and they really like earth but they see these people kind of suffering uh, Mm. for reasons out of their control and they decide to make this little getaway to bring these uh, people to their uh, world and they also have a sport called the race okay and so they start a race with magic animals. So there's dragons, there's griffins, uh, there's phoenixes, there's all sorts of animals. And then they get uh, teens to race the animals. And it helps build like character and compassion and understanding and patience. And uh, it's a lot of character building for them to sort of heal these traumas they've gone through. They're basically like magical therapists. Yeah, who've decided, essentially. Who've decided that the way that they're going to heal people's trauma is by inviting them to go on this go on this race. Yeah, basically they, extracurricular activities. Because they learn <laughs> things through the race. If you win the race, what do you get? Self-satisfaction. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing really. It's just more like, oh, you get to keep doing it, I guess? No, it's just more... Uh, it's like, like I said, an extracurricular activity. It's just like to build confidence. Right. And it sort of parallels like the rat race of life, right? Yeah. So I guess the comic explores like, I guess like the emotional stuff that people are going through as they're facing like the challenges on the race. Yeah. Sort of it's stuff. a lot of, it's a lot of feelings. It's a lot of drama. And so it focuses on these two characters, Cass uh, and Gray. Cass in our world has just like had a really shitty upbringing I'm sorry. It's okay, no problem. Okay, I'm not sure if I can curse or not. Yeah, you totally can. Okay. Uh, So she's had a really terrible upbringing, and her life is kind of spiraling out of control. And then in the in-between, there's this dragon, Grey, and he's just lost his partner in one of the races. Uh, And so his partner die? Yeah, his partner died from some foul play. Okay. And so... Cass is brought to the world because she's lost and she doesn't know what she's doing and she needs kind of this new start. So the beings bring her uh, and they partner her up with Grey, who is like not ready (laughs) to get over that his partner just passed. And so they're like, well, you have to try to work together. And they're like, we really hate this. Uh, But there's this bond that kind of brings them together. Cool. Yeah. So like, is is Cass invited to the race or is she sort of like brought to the race against against her will. Uh, she's invited, and it's kind of this offer where, like, hey, your life really sucks. How about this new beginning and this new chance to kind of start over? And she's like, 
yeah, okay, there's nothing else here for me. Yeah, uh, and they rea- and she realizes that like, oh, t- she feels like the only way to stay there is to be in this race, and she kind of she gets excited by the idea of like, oh, I get to like be in this huge contest, and that's that's cool. I've never been offered something like that. And then the fact that Gray is like, nope, nah, this is like this only thing that's standing in between her and this life. Right. And so that's sort of like a challenge. Yes. Where she's going to like prove herself to him mm-hmm. sort of thing. Cool. So like it seems really dense and like really emotional and like there's a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. That- How did you come up with the idea? I don't know what specifically drew me to it. I knew I knew that I liked stories with like moody teenagers. I knew that I liked stories with like big monster animals like Digimon or Totoro. And I especially loved the ideas like them being partnered together. And so I guess all that was left was like the format right. for uh, to give them that space. Right. And it just kind of cobbled together. I originally kind of wrote it out in a scripting class. And then once I got dared to start a webcomic in two months, that was the most complete thing I had. And so I was like, all right, we'll run with this. Nice, nice. So what was, how was it received? It had a generally small following. It only ran for four years. Okay. But anyone who reads it tells me they like it. So I'm happy with that. Uh, I feel like uh, a lot of the following are girls uh, usually starting college. Uh, and so I think they kind of relate to this idea of like feeling lost. Yeah. Like, like you're finding your place in the world. Yeah. And a lot of them are probably girls like me who like grew up with anime. So like love the idea of like moody teens with animals. I'm like, all right, just come into this family. (laughs) Nice. That's so cool. So then when did it end? Like what? Let's see. It ended, I guess, two years ago this August. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So then, did you move immediately into Godslave? Or? Uh, I gave myself two months okay. uh, to start Godslave. I had been researching for it for like the last year and a half. While and, you were working on Takeoff? Yeah. Okay. And so to like give myself that deadline, the same thing as Takeoff, uh, where I was like, all right, two months, Godslave will launch. You knew that you wanted to do another comic like right oh, after? Oh, yeah, absolutely. What made you want to do another one? I, I just have these stories that need to get out. Like, there's no way to not do it. I I think I would be really, uh, not panicky, but I think I'd be really anxious if I wasn't telling some sort of story that wasn't my own, that kind of escape. And it seems like your motivation is more to tell the story than it is to, like, try to, like, break into the industry or that sort of thing. Like, what what is the what is the catalyst that makes you want to do want to do this? Uh, these things that are inside me and I just need to exercise this demon. (laughs) They just, they need to get out. And I think, uh, especially like with Takeoff, I basically, like I learned how to do comics at max. Like they gave me all the rules and the format on how to do it. But like I said, you don't really learn how you make it or how you do it until you've done it for like hundreds of pages. Right. So what did you learn? Like what kind of stylistic things Um, uh, did you start picking up? I think I learned that I like, I like really uh, dense storytelling. So like you said, like I I jam as many panels as I can when I'm talking or doing dialogue. I learned how to do uh, really good background or backgrounds that I really like. I learned... I learned how to write, basically, like writing characters off each other and how to like work out a scene where like I need this emotional payoff and I need to get to I need to get from point A to point B. How do I do that? And just having to do it over and over again is what really taught me. Cool. Uh, And so it's the same thing with Godslave, where uh, I would say with Takeoff, I learned how to do backgrounds. I learned how to do animals. And with Godslave, I'm trying to learn how to do action scenes. Cool. Uh, and so that's been a, a real big catalyst of like constantly trying to learn and uh, try new things. So like these two comics are sort of furthering your education. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. So yeah, like Godslave. So what was the idea for Godslave? Because that's the one that I really hear people talking about. It's oh. Like, Godslave. <laughs> like people that follow you in the comics community in Toronto, mm. they're like, oh, you got to read Godslave. It's oh. so good. Like, you, know, you know what I mean? Thanks, Toronto. So, so, so I mean, I, I want to know like what, you know, how what was the whole deal with Godslave? Something I've kind of learned uh, whenever I talk about Godslave is that we as North Americans seem to all have this sort of fondness for Egyptian mythology and kind of the aesthetic of ancient Egypt. So there was always this fondness in me of like, oh, I really like Egyptian mythology. And I think there were two things. 
where someone brought up a post about how uh, the god Horus and Jesus are like oddly similar. And I was reading through it about all these things about Horus. I'm like, oh, these are kind of cool. And I started reading more about it. And I think there was that and uh, some art came up about like gods and certain concepts of like what these gods could look like. I was like, oh, that's really cool. I wonder if I could do that with like Egyptian gods. What were the similarities between Horus and Jesus? Oh, gosh. Uh, They had sort of a virgin birth. There were some lies in this post as well. It was not a virgin birth. Um, Gosh. Uh, Could he turn water into wine and stuff? No. (laughs) Now I'm blanking on it. Um, That's okay. But uh, there was sort of a list of uh, these similarities where uh, he was like the true king or the the son of the true king or some such thing. Yeah. So you you really got attached to sort of the, I guess, like the conspiracy of that kind of thing and like Uh, the similarities between... Egyptian mythology and like Western and like where they connect. It or? wasn't so much the similarities; it's more just like they brought up these certain points about Horus and these stories that Horus was involved in. Right. And I was like, "Oh, these sound really cool." And I just I started looking more into it about these different gods that he was connected to, and uh, I started just getting really into it. And I thought about the idea because again, I love this partnership theme, right? Uh, and so I thought about uh, a girl who is partnered with this god and has to like help them or work for them. Where does the partnership attraction come from? Is that something in your life? Uh, I think it's just something I'm fond of, a theme I'm fond of in stuff I grew up with. So like uh, kids or moody teenagers that have to uh, or are partnered with these extraplanar beings and have this regular life, but also have this being who doesn't understand or infects it with this magic uh, sort of fantasy idea in our in our just regular lives. Is that a big theme in manga too? Like, um, do you see a lot of that kind of stuff? Absolutely. I think uh, a lot of like magical schoolgirl manga, like one of the big ones I love, Shaman King, okay. is all about that where it's regular day life and then also ghosts and also uh, Japanese monsters and myths. And so I think I really like the idea of like, you know, a regular day life, but also there's magic around. Nice, nice, cool. Sort of like, like a Harry Potter sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Cool, that's awesome. So what is... Godslave about? Godslave is about a girl thrown into the drama and danger of modern day Egyptian mythology. Uh, it's about this girl named Edith who accidentally breaks this canopic jar at a museum. And unfortunately, it was very important and it housed a god who was imprisoned in it. After she breaks it open and realizes that he was put in there against his will, he's like, want to help me kind of get back to power? Because uh, it would be really helpful. And these guys kind of screwed me over. And uh, she is at first like, I don't know you. I have my own life to deal with. Like, I got to pay bills. And eventually he's like, I can help with that. And she's like, all right, let's do this. And so she starts like fighting monsters and uh, his enemies to pay the bills. Wow, that's awesome. Cool. So like he's like her bankroll. Yeah, absolutely. And she- the more that she helps him, the more that he basically like, pays her to do that kind of the closest translation would be high priest right uh in egyptian it was called hemet nezer which basically translates to uh servant of god okay like god slave exactly (laughs) yeah nice cool i don't know if i'd want to be a a slave for for god because i I feel like that could go pretty dark like pretty quickly like he he could exploit you yeah does that start to happen in the in in the comic it hasn't happened yet (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i guess the idea is uh sort of this uh similar to cast where she doesn't have many options right and uh edith slowly finds out that she kind of likes the work she likes fighting and she likes this magic and she wants to get more into that world and so she eventually agrees like all right let's test this out let's see how this goes yeah maybe it's just something about my personality where i where i immediately go to like yeah. the darkest place ever about it. where he's like me i'm like show me the monster <laughs> exactly cool that's cool so and you're also doing uh the coloring for pitiful human lizard yeah right? yeah i just helped out with issue 10 how did that go because when i was hanging out with allison yesterday who's like the editor mm. of pitiful human lizard and your your friend and co-collaborator i love you allison right <laughs> so she is like is like allison is she she's she's like she's like megan is such a good colorist like Aww. it doesn't really she's like it doesn't really show up in the webcomic because she doesn't have as many tools and she can't do as much but like in the comics like she she is really good at coloring oh. so what <laughs> 
so she's like that's like where like she really shines and stuff so i was wondering like what is your coloring technique why are people so into this uh from what i'm i i don't know what it is specifically from what i'm told is that people really like the palettes that i choose so they like the colors that i choose for certain scenes and apparently that's been working out well for me. And like I've known Jason for a little while now. Right. Uh and he's been a fan of my colors. And at first, uh Rachel Ritchie was uh doing the flats for Pitiful Human Lizard. And now she's had to step away from that. Right, because she just had a baby. I think, she right? did, yeah. yeah. Congratulations, Rachel. Yeah. <laughs> uh when she stepped away, Jason was like I need a flatter. I don't have the time. Hey, Megan, can you help out with this? And I was like, I need the money. (laughs) Nice. Were you already coloring uh, before? Like, did you have like samples or things Uh, like that? Godslave was my only samples, really. So so basically they like saw the palettes that you were doing in Godslave and they liked them. Yeah. And that was, I guess, the other thing that comics really taught me is like, I learned how to like color a page start to finish. Right. And some people cheat and they just go like black and white or whatever and they don't. Uh, it's not so much as cheating as much as they know that black and white is cheaper to print. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and that is something I had to find out very harshly. Right. So what made you want to color it? I think I, I didn't know that at first that black and white oh, is cheaper okay. to print. It was more just like, oh, I have to color it. Because that's what you do. Yeah, absolutely. Colors. You have to. It's not it's not finished. <laughs> right, right. Okay. Mm-hmm. And now I've just I realized that uh, I can do a lot more. When I'm coloring, I can do a lot more uh, storytelling when there's colors. Nice. So is Pitiful Human Lizard your first coloring job away from like your personal stuff? Or? I'm trying to think. Did I do another one? As far as I can think right now, yes. Pitiful Human Lizard is the only thing I've ever done just straight colors for. Oh, um, in Secret Loves, uh, there is a story by Sherelle Higgins, Rachel Wells, and uh hope asked me last minute if i could come on to color that pa- uh those pages nice nice yeah. uh, this is the secret loves of geek girls yes right? that anthology that's sort of edited by uh, hope nicholson hope, hope nicholson yeah. yeah cool so i did i did that and then yeah this has been the the first like comic straight that i've done for pitiful human lizard so what is that like like you know, I, I know that, like, people that get into comics and, you know, in the back of their mind, the aspiration is always sort of to be, like, on a monthly book and, like, do something mm-hmm. for the monthly book. So you, you've you got that. Like, yeah. you've arrived. So now that, <laughs> now that you have it, yes. what is it like for you? What do you think? It's been a lot of fun. I would say that it's been really cool to just focus straight on colors, to, mm-hmm. like, to just do this one job. It's... It's nice to not, like, I like thinking about storytelling and I like laying out and I like penciling and inking, but to just focus on one job has been really interesting. And Jason has been very kind. Uh, what he does usually is uh, we have this Dropbox and he'll send the pages there that I need to download and color. And he usually has one flat color over everything to kind of give me an idea of what time of day it is and what tones to kind of fall back on. So it's sort of like the shades and stuff. Yeah, basically. It's like, hey, this is what time it is, so it should be brighter, it should be darker. Right, right. Okay, cool. So the last time we had any anyone in here talking about colors, uh, I think we had like Parasoline because he does oh, yeah, a yeah. lot of coloring for Marvel and DC and other other yeah. places and stuff. So, but you're like the only the second person that we've we've had that talk about colors, and I think that like colors is like an underappreciated part of comics production because I don't think people really understand what happens, and, yeah. like what you do as a colorist. Mm. And most people just focus on, like, the writing and the art. Absolutely. Because that's the most visual part. Mm -hmm. So can you explain sort of, like, what the deal is with coloring? Like, what you actually do as a colorist? Let's see. I think think sort of, like, inking or lettering, the less you notice it the better okay because like uh if if there's good coloring you probably won't really notice it if there's bad coloring you will super notice it (laughs) but with uh coloring it's basically what i do is i flat uh and what that means is i get the page with the line art and i just pick the palette and i'm it's just there's no shading there's no lighting there's no gradients it's just the straight colors okay and then once i'm done the page i hand that off to jason and he will choose like where the shading should go uh, where the lighting should be. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. So then, so like he basically makes all the effects. Yeah. Awesome. So now that you're now that you're on a monthly book and you're teaching at like Max the Button and that yeah. sort of thing, do you feel like you know you're a real artist? Like, are, <laughs> are you are you are you pursuing your art full time? Like the fact that we we're having this conversation in the middle of the afternoon <laughs> is kind of nice. cool, yeah. right? So. 
So, like, where do you think you're at for your art and where do you want to go? Uh, it's so funny because uh, I think for everyone, uh, that bar just changes over time. Like, what me- what makes you a pro, makes you a real artist? And uh, you would have thought, like, oh, well, I'm in a book that's published by Dark Horse. That would make me a pro. Like, oh, I get a free table at Fan Expo. That would make me a pro. And I don't know if it'll ever really happen, if that bar will just keep changing. But uh, for me, I actually still have a day job. Okay. Uh, two days what do you a- do? Two days a week, I work in a restaurant as a dishwasher. Okay. And so that helps pay the bills. Uh, I am taking uh, some time off for the summer to just straight work on comics and get a book out. But like, I feel like as long as I'm there, because while you're there, it doesn't matter if I go to conventions or if I post my web comic or I get like these really wonderful comments or emails about like how much people love my comic art. Uh, the fact that I'm not 100% paying my bills with comics, I'm like, no, not real. It's not real yet. Oh, because yeah. even this, like those short hours at the kitchen, like I'm a dishwasher, and that's that's something that's really hard to like break out of. Right, right, because it's security. Absolutely, and uh, it's uh, it's sort of just like this thing that beats down on you. Where like I've, when I first started dishwashing, it was full time, and then slowly as the year has gone by, I've been able to go like less hours and less hours relying on dishwashing, which has been really great. Right, because you're teaching and doing the coloring stuff. Yeah, and so I don't have to rely on that paycheck as much. But like the more I'm there, the more I just keep thinking like, no, I'm not an artist, I'm a dishwasher. Yeah, and it's just like, it's hard to perceive change over time where it's just like, I'm always going to be here. And there's definitely been nights where like I was like doing weekend night shifts uh, at a restaurant that gets very busy and the and you just think like I'm always going to be here. I'm I'm never going to get out of here. And it's it's something that's really hard to like kind of pull yourself out of. Be like, no, I'm a comic artist. I need to keep working on being a comic artist. But at the same time, you chose a job that allows you to keep pursuing this career. Right? Absolutely, yeah. I'm, uh, I've been very blessed to have uh, chefs who are very supportive of what I do, and they think it's really cool, and they've. They're always very flexible about like, oh, you need time off for a convention? No problem. As long as you book it off, it's fine. Right, right. Cool. (laughs) And like, it's kind of good because I think what I admire about you is that you're still doing it. Nothing has panicked you enough to Mm -hmm. like switch careers entirely and get out of comics entirely and try to get like, you know, like a more stable job and situation where you could be making like more money kind of thing yeah i like that like you're taking that risk and like nothing has scared you away from that risk thank you yeah not everybody can do that like i've interviewed people here that that left their Mm -hmm. love of art because you know life got in the way and and they were they weren't making enough money and they got scared about you know like maybe like the debt that they were in or like the fact that like every time they went to go pay their rent it was sort of a mad scramble to the end of the month kind of thing and they left it but Mm -hmm. then they really regretted leaving it and eventually had to like come back yeah so i guess there are there are people in this world that are like not as strong and can't pursue it to like the same degree so what what keeps you in it what keeps you going so that you're not that you stay strong and you don't panic yeah. and you don't go to like the thing uh, that's more secure well first of all thank you for calling me strong <laughs> it's my favorite compliment um i think it's a couple things having worked in like a slightly higher end kitchen i worked with uh chefs and cooks who were putting in like 12 to 14 hour days mm-hmm. uh and i would see that kind of like work ethic and that kind of attitude and i guess that partly rubbed off on me I think it's also having uh, stuff like Takeoff and Godslave where I have this outlet to be creative and do whatever I want and tell these stories that need to get out and sort of have this escape from just freelance or trying to pay bills or a dishwashing. Right now, I have a full-time space at the comic book embassy. Uh, Before that, I hoteled at Raid which means I, I had a part-time space there. Okay. And I think that attitude really rubbed off on me where like I'm just surrounded by these professional artists uh, who are putting in these long hours to get get their shit done. And uh, so- to, Those are the guys that are doing it like full, full time. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think that air and that attitude had a like very profound effect on, effect on me where like, you know, a lot of people, they 
have told me that like you have a really strong work ethic like you really you know you put in the hours and you, you do a lot of work to get this done and for me it just feels like that's just what's required of me right and anything less is like well then you're, you're shirking it so let me give the audience an understanding of that work ethic then what is your typical day like like what kind of um, what do you do do you go to work and then you're working hours on your comic after or like how does that work on a good day when i'm off from work i get up at around 8 a.m i work out and i make my lunch and i get to the studio by about noon and i'm usually there from about like 9 to 10 p.m this is the comic embassy this is the comic embassy the studio i work out of on a day when i was working like full-time dishwashing like i remember there was this one really terrible year where i was like one of the only full-time dishwashers they had so i was working double shifts uh i was also uh making a terrible mistake at like oh i should probably get something more steady than dishwashing i'll try an admin course uh for an office so i was doing that online course and then i was also updating my comic and i was also preparing for fan expo wow uh there's a lot of stress dreams going on so (laughs) in that period when did you sleep it seems uh, like that... for a couple hours but red bull was my friend <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. um but it was a very stressful time for like this one month but it, it was a very brief time thankfully but um i think <laughs> sorry what was the question again so it's just it's just i wanted to get a sense of like what your day is like right. and how much work you're putting in um well that's the kind of work i was putting yeah, in yeah, regularly it would be like i would go to work from about nine to four and then I would just head to the studio and be there as late as I possibly could uh, before, like, someone would call, like, my parents or my sister to be like, it's too late for you to be out. <laughs> right. Come home. Right, right. But uh, I definitely have, like, my family and my boyfriend get on my back a lot. Be like, you work so much. You're going to burn out. <laughs> wow. And, like, just let me, <laughs> just let me do this. So do you feel it or do you just sort of ignore them and, like, I got to do this? Like, I, th- there's bigger things going I on I understand here. where they're coming from. Yeah. Uh, I definitely do burn out and get overwhelmed. But I absolutely just get back on the horse. And I still feel like that's, like, this is just what's required of me. This is just what I need to do. Is it easier to work in a studio than it is to work, like, from home? I feel like it's different for everybody. For me, before I joined the embassy, I had spent three months in my room by myself, like with uh, just my sister, uh, who's my roommate. And because I was working, I work on comics all the time and I was taking time away from work. So I was in there like every day and I wasn't seeing sunlight and I wasn't seeing friends. And it's just like really, really bad for me. Yeah. So like I needed... I needed windows and I needed people. Uh, And so after that three months, uh, the comic book embassy, they had like a 12 hour comic marathon for just girls. Right. Okay. Uh, So I went there because I knew Karen Templeton. Yeah. yeah. uh, Who Uh, was running it. Ty is Ty Templeton's wife. Yeah. And so I went and I just, I met Megan Carney and uh, I met like Leslie Doyle and all these really great girls. And there were, there were windows and there was sunlight. And I'm like, oh, this is really nice. This is really nice to like see people, but also work on comics. And so it's been really beneficial for me specifically. Cool. Are there other people that like rent out in the embassy just like at Raid? How yeah. there's other people around and stuff? Yeah. Uh, currently, uh, let's see. It's Megan Carney. Uh, we have Nicole Trudell who does uh, illustration work. And we have a couple writers. We have Julia. Uh, I'm blanking on her name, but she's like a TV writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have BC Holmes, who uh-huh. is also in uh, the Toronto Comic Anthology. Uh, we have Savannah McIntosh, and then we have uh, Xavier Domari, who does comics, but also translations. Oh, cool. We actually, uh, right now, if I can plug it, we have some empty spaces if people want to get in on that. That's awesome. Is it is it just for girls, or can anyone apply? Anyone can apply. Okay. We've, uh, we've just, like, weirdly had, uh, it's, like, it's organically happened where we just have this lineup of girls but if you're if you're a guy or you identify as a guy you are completely welcome awesome (laughs) totally cool now that you're you're where the where you're at like what's what's next for you what are you what is like the next place that you want to go you mentioned that like the bar keeps changing the further you get in your career so what is the bar right now i think for me it would be to say goodbye to dishwashing completely that would be huge in the last like two years, like I said, I started teaching at Max and I found out that I really like it actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'd love to get more in on that. If that could replace uh, my day job, perfect. 
Right now, I'm working on uh, a story for Chapter House. I'm working on God Slave. I would love to get some books out for God Slave. Uh, currently working on that, knock on wood. Like um, you're going to print it and make it into a graphic yes, novel. Cool. Yeah. I sent off some pitches for first second. And so I would love to see if anything comes out of that. If I could get the one of the, I actually want to do a horror book with ghosts and ghost hunting. And so I think I'd love to get that off the ground, but it's something that I specifically would not do as a webcomic. It would, I would do it purposely as a graphic novel. Okay. So it'd be like a one volume yes. novel kind of thing. Mm-hmm. What are you doing for Chapter House? Are you allowed to say? I think I'm allowed to say. Uh, <laughs> I don't know for sure. Uh, we can edit it out if I'm not. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, I'm currently working on some stories for True Patriot, which is getting published by Chapter House. Oh, cool. Yeah. They're going to keep doing the anthology format. And yeah. so it's like different stories in each issue. Right. And so I'm doing a two-part story in issue... Two and three, I believe. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I hope, like, things keep going for you. Oh, thank you. The, the ambition. Like, I, the, there are a lot of guys that I know that don't have the same drive and ambition. But, like, when I interview people from, like, Raid and the people that are really doing it and doing, like, the Marvel and DC mm-hmm. stuff you quickly realize that you need that level of work ethic in in order to like really, really make it. Yeah. And it's harder because some of these guys have families and that sort of thing. But I think, you know, the fact that you're putting so much into this, I mean, you're, you're well on your way to wherever you want to go. That's for sure. Yeah. I've, uh, I've heard that it's always, uh, for comics, like it's, it's easier to eat shit in your (laughs) twenties, uh, where you can just like, you can go on like a very little paycheck right. to keep the dreams going. Right. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of people misunderstand how much work is required when you get into this business. And I, you hear, you see a lot of people talk the talk, but not, uh, you, like you said, it's very clear when they're walking the walk. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. For sure. And like, I think people, fans especially, like take for granted how long people, you know that they know mm-hmm. like francis manipole on the on the flash and batman and those sorts of things like the the artists that they recognize how long those people are just like yeah. in the studio not seeing anyone mm-hmm. not like their families or anything just drawing i remember there was one weekend at raid where it was like i think it was just before emerald city comic-con and francis had to like he had like an insane deadline and he was at the studio for like 28 hours to get it done before he went uh, on a plane to uh, Seattle. Right. Yeah. It's crazy. And I think like if you really want to break into this business, like that's kind of the level. Yes. Y- you know, you need to you need to work at. I mean, it's not just God slave. It's kind of comic slave. After Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. That's a nice way to put it. Yeah, so. Oh, yeah. I, I would definitely describe myself as a slave to comics. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So I think that's the perfect note to end on. What is, like, where can people find you? Where can they read your comics? Where are you on social media? That sort of thing. Sure. Uh, Godslave is at godslavecomic.com. Okay. If you want to read uh, Takeoff, it's at megacarter.com slash takeoff. Okay. And then you can find me, uh, mega underscore carter, on Twitter. Awesome. Awesome. And when does, like, the next issue of Pitiful Human Lizard come out? Uh, you would have to talk to Jason about that. Okay, unfortunately, okay. Uh, I just sent him uh, the final uh, the final flats. I think last week. Okay. So I'm I think he's still puttering away on it. Okay. Cool. Sounds good. Uh, yeah. So thanks you guys all for listening. Uh, make sure that you follow Speech Bubble Pod on Twitter or go to our Facebook page, uh, Facebook.com/slash Speech Bubble Pod. Uh, and hopefully subscribe on iTunes to this podcast because that's where we're at or visit us at com. Also, if you're subscribing on iTunes, please leave us a review. It gets us noticed by other people who are looking for podcasts through the iTunes store. So so please review the show. Do it up. Uh, thank you, Megan, for coming in. I, this has been a great conversation and uh, and hopefully we'll have you back sometime oh thank you for having me all right talk to you later guys this has been speech bubble see you in the future friends <laughs> <laughs>